You are listening to Pangea Cast, the digital voice of Pangea Church in Seattle, Washington. We are a church that follows in the way of Jesus to inspire others in the way of love. Visit us in person on Sundays or online at seattlepangea.com. Today we get to step back into our series called As It Is in Heaven. And we've been talking about the kingdom of God and, and this, this metaphor for um, what that looks like in our lives. And um, it's, it's kind of a weird metaphor for most of us. I mean, you grew up probably with the stories of like, oh, King George, that tyrant, we don't like kings. And well... Yeah, it's a very American sort of centric uh, approach. And, and um, the metaphor, yeah, it gets kind of lost on us. And then we also don't like thinking about like, you know, more of a democracy of God or something, right? Because that doesn't really work either. You know what I mean? Like, like there's a great book, by the way, that gets at these things really well. Uh, Chris Haw and Shane Claiborne wrote a book about, man, it's been like eight or nine years ago now called Jesus for President. And uh, um, you know, the idea of Jesus as president is maybe another way to put it, but oh, I can't imagine Jesus having access to nuclear weapons, you know, and I can't imagine uh, Jesus like being the commander in chief of soldiers that aren't like angelic or something, you know, and so like, like it still doesn't quite work. And so, so to really kind of get at this image, we, we have to do a little bit of um, hard work to sort of unpack what this thing called the kingdom is. And so, that's where we're going to go this morning. Um, by the way, if I've never had the chance to meet you or I just met you today, my name's Kurt. I'm uh, the lead pastor here, and I'm a part of a team of pastors and other people that are uh, leading and guiding and shaping this thing. Uh, we've been at this for a couple of years, and it's been pretty cool. So um, I, I always say this. People are like, hey, what's it like in your church? And, you know, and, and I always say, you know, I've never been at a church where I could pretty much just say what I actually think. You know what I mean? Like, like, like if you've been to certain churches and you're like, ah, oh, I wish they would just get at this. And I know the pastor actually thinks this stuff. But if he or she, and usually he, unfortunately, right? And I, I'm part of that problem, but what are you going to do? Um, and, 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 and usually it's, it's one of those situations like, dude, you totally believe this stuff and, and you think it's going to blow up your church, but... What if you just incrementally started, like, kind of just getting there? And, 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 and I haven't had to do that around here. Um, not that I have all the right answers, but it's just a free space. And so um, you should also know that if you're, you're in a space in your journey where, like, you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what I believe about Jesus. Or, like, like I, I came from a background that had this set of assumptions. And when you hear kingdom of God you think to yourself automatically a pamphlet that you go door to door with. Or like, like you, you think of rigidity, you think of boundaries, you think of lines in the sand. And, and interesting to me, the only kinds of lines in the sand that we ever have is Jesus writing in the sand. I think he's writing the names of the accusers around this woman. And, and then he blots it out and a move of grace. So, so lines in the sand, if there's any kinds of lines, they're grace-filled lines, and they're messy. And um, I want you to know that, that here, wherever you happen to be in your journey, you're, you're in a space where we want to help you be free to discover, to learn, to, to disagree. Um, that's, that's one of the things that really gives me joy in life, is that uh, we can actually disagree without hating each other. Isn't that pretty fun? Um, 
And I think in the kingdom, it requires that posture. I think, I think when we talk about the kingdom of God, Jesus is approached, and, and they say to him, they say, look, Jesus, like, can you just show us how to do this prayer thing, right? And, and so, so Jesus shows them, and he gives them this thing called the Lord's Prayer, which we'll pray together during communion. And um, there's this line that he's just like, look, you got to have, have this vision of life that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we live in a world where that's not always the case. And when we start to think about like that sort of like massive call of being a follower of Jesus, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you're in your daily grind, that's pretty hard stuff. You know what I mean? Like, like you're raising your, your kid. Like I, <laughs> This morning we had a meltdown on my way to church, right? So I'm like trying to get out the door and, and we're like, ah, like, ah, I'm going to be late. I'm like a leader. And, you know, like, <laughs> and this adorable five-year-old is just screaming her head off, you know, and it's like, where's the kingdom right now? Like, what's this thing? Like, 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 because a lot of the time, like, like kingdom is this abstraction that is separated from the rootedness of what life really is. And so this series is like, okay, so yes, there's this massive vision of what God wants the world to be like. You know what I'm saying? Like, like God wants a world free of pain, suffering, poverty, oppression, systemic racism, exclusion of any kind. Like God's desire for creation is a free, resurrected, liberated world. And we always need to have that vision in front of us. But here's what happens I often find in the lives of folks trying to just figure this thing out. It's like you have that big vision, and then you're like, I, I feel stuck. Because I'm just trying to pay the bills right now, or I'm just trying to graduate from school, or I'm just trying to like figure out how to like heal from all these wounds in my life. And like, I, I don't know how I'm ever going to be any use to any of that. And so God's going to have to just sort it out someday. And we, that's how I feel a lot of the time. And what we're trying to say in this series is, no, no, like, like, like there are postures and practices and awarenesses that can help you say that your life as it is doesn't have to be like the end of it all. Like, like you can lean into something more experientially real, something that's so true it actually changes you. You know what I mean? Like, like, there's a lot of things I believe that don't really change me. But if there's anything that should change me, that should change us, it's a belief in this thing we call the kingdom of God, that distant, weird, kingly metaphor that when we think of it, unfortunately, we go to medieval times, and uh, Jesus wasn't in medieval times either. He is in much worse times, actually, Roman times. And, uh, and so that's where we're going. Today, I, I want to do a couple of things. But before we get too much into the, the focal point of today's message, I want to mention that uh, last night a saint died. Uh, I don't mention every saint that passes, but this, this particular saint's important. His name is uh, Professor John Cone. James, sorry, James. James Cone. Now, James Cone has written several books, and one that's really popular, one of his later works is called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. And um, I want to give you a couple of quotes from this book because what, what these quotes do is they confront our defaults. 
especially my defaults. Uh, I, I look at my, my life and my, my identity and, and, and default in the sense of um, privilege. Uh, if you live in the United States, you have a level of privilege compared to a lot of the rest of the world. If you are uh, a person of color, you have very much less privilege. If you're a woman, you have less privilege. If you're white, you're part of a system that favors you. And James Cone comes along kind of on the coattails of the civil rights era. He speaks a truth that was hard to hear. He starts saying things like, look, the, the white church has been so committed to their orthodoxy that they don't even know what it means to identify with a marginalized, crucified man named Jesus. We've become so obsessed with like right beliefs. We, we make things so distant, kind of like we do naturally like with the kingdom and these concepts that we, we, we don't actually identify and feel and experience and stand with those who would be like Jesus in the first century oppressed. And so I want to read you a couple of quotes, and um, we'll kind of move from there. But this is what he says in The Cross and the Lynching Tree. He says, The lynching tree, so strikingly similar to the cross on Golgotha, should have a prominent place in American uh, images of Jesus' death. But it does not. In fact, the lynching tree has no place in American theological reflections about Jesus' cross or in the proclamation of Christian churches about his passion. The conspicuous absence of the lynching tree in American theological discourse and preaching is profoundly revealing, especially since the crucifixion was clearly a first-century lynching. In the lynching era, between 1880 and 1940, white Christians lynched nearly 5,000 black men and women in a manner with obvious echoes of the Roman crucifixion of Jesus. Yet these Christians did not see the irony or contradiction in their actions. Whew. There's a museum that just opened up in the South that has these um, beautiful monuments to every documented lynch victim. And I can imagine for folks for whom uh, their legacy is, yeah, my, my family was part of causing this violence directly. That if they're broken by the beautiful, life-giving spirit of Jesus, than that they're broken by this monument. And, and I can imagine even a deeper sense of empowerment and sense of self that must be coming for folks of color as they see this finally being displayed for what it is in our country's legacy. Jesus was a marginal human being. Jesus did not come with power, except the power that he had through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus did not come with prestige. His parents were poor. Jesus did not come from a situation that was well put together. In fact, I imagine it was in disarray quite a bit. But what we have in Jesus of Nazareth is someone who showed us that a better way is possible. A God who showed us that identifying with those who suffer brings freedom and healing and hope. I want to read one more quote by uh, James Cohn here, and this is from the same book later in the, in the text. He says, Though the pain of Jesus' cross was real, there was also joy and beauty in his cross. This is the great theological paradox that makes the cross impossible uh, to embrace unless one is standing in solidarity with those who are powerless. God's loving solidarity can transform ugliness, whether Jesus on the cross or a lynched black victim, into beauty, into God's liberating presence. I had a whole sermon planned, and honestly, I could probably just not after that quote, right? Like, there's enough. There's enough there just to sit with and wrestle with. And that's Jesus to invite us into. But I think I want to keep going, and I want us to notice this theme of the Christian reality, this theme of the New Testament, of Jesus welcoming and identifying with those who had less power than others. And the way we're going to do that is going to feel like a radical shift, but for the ancient world, it's not a shift at all. We're going to talk about Jesus and children this morning. In the ancient world, children, they were fine. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. They're fine. They're children. They can't contribute to society. They don't got enough muscle. They don't got enough... So they're fine. They were dispensable. Sure, if you're a parent and you lost a kid, biologically you're wired to, to be sad about that, of course. Like, there's still empathy. I'm not saying it was a world free of empathy. But it was a lot different. Kids were abused. Kids were neglected. Kids with deformities were left out on the top of a hill to die through starvation. I mean, this was the, the ancient world's understanding of children would boggle our minds. Except, we still know that children are vulnerable today. We still know that throughout our world, children are sex trafficked every single day. And lest you think we're exempt, there are children being sex trafficked in our city right now. There are babies the same age as some of your babies that will not get to have life breathed into them but will feel pain and oppression possibly their entire lives. Children are still vulnerable and children remind us that there are a lot of people that are vulnerable in this world. 
And I think Jesus gets it. And this is why Jesus, like, like if you've ever thought to yourself, man, like sometimes Jesus sounds kind of like a prude. Ha <laughs> ha, no, 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 no. Jesus is a rebel. Jesus is hanging out one day, he's teaching, and he's, he's doing his thing. He's like, look, I'm going to tell you about the kingdom of God, which is basically this reality where God's will is done, this space within which humanity can thrive, creation can thrive. It's a space where God's will is actualized, and it's the kind of thing that God wants for the entire cosmos eventually. So Jesus is teaching about these things, and, and all of a sudden, uh, we hear this interesting dialogue. And he welcomes a child. I want to I go to that passage in a moment, but, but here's what I think we learned from children this morning. And, and I think it's really important that we lean into these things. That the more childlike we become... Children being playful, vulnerable, imaginative, non-judgmental, and trusting. The easier it will be for us to experience God's kingdom. One of the things that I've been sitting with this week is that I think one of the reasons why the church became a mechanism for violence and oppression and segregation and all of the things that are in the wake of Christian history. Is that they didn't take Jesus' invitation to children very seriously. Not only in identifying with children and saying become like these children is Jesus doing something very radical. But if you don't both welcome and become like children, which we're going to read about in a moment, here's what ends up happening. I've got to hold it up. I've got to have a front that looks strong and solid because this world's crazy. And so I've got to attack before I get attacked. I've got to fight before I have to fight back. I've got to conquer. Children don't. They don't go there unless they have really, really weird parents that take them there way too soon. You know what I mean? Right? Like, they're like, I want that ball sometimes, right? They're, they're mad that someone has a ball they want. Sure. They're learning about rules and boundaries and how to, like, navigate the world. But at the end of the day, children's vulnerability is what Jesus was inviting us into as followers of Jesus. Both identifying and welcoming And had this been the primary posture of the church, we don't have crusades. We don't have um, wars over which version of Christianity is right. We don't have the conquest of America. We don't bring people from another continent to this continent to, like, to, to basically build the infrastructure for said conquest. We don't have native peoples systematically removed through death. If the church embraces a childlike posture, what the church becomes is radically different. And it starts with pockets of people who say, we want to take Jesus seriously. We don't think this is just a, a, a nice teaching to make us feel really good. Like, oh man, 
little too serious in life, and I'm getting a little worried about my problems, like I'm not going to get a promotion or whatever, and so, oh, I need to just chill out today. Get over it. You know what I'm saying? That's not a problem. That's a frustration. That's not a problem. Like Jesus is like, identify with the unsafety of this child. Identify with the pain and vulnerability that this child will have to sit with. Become like a child. And the beautiful movement of Jesus will move forward in a way that is so compelling and so captivating that it will be nearly blameless in the world. And I started this talk by saying, look, there's a big vision and that's hard, so let's try and translate it into our lives. And and then I just gave you this crazy big vision, right? But I, I, I don't think it's only that. I, I, think, I think it takes individual people within pockets of community saying, we're going to own this in our lives right now. Like, we're going to own this posture. And so I want to just walk us through the story and some of these postures and see, like, if we can get to a place, if we can get to a place where childlikeness is a gift that we have to offer the world. And so friends, Jesus is hanging out with disciples, and this is Matthew chapter 18. And this is what happens at verse 1. He says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then he called a little child over to sit among the disciples and said, I assure you that if you don't turn your lives around and become like this little child, you will definitely not enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who humble themselves like this little child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. This morning, I want to invite us into a couple of postures that I think will, in fact, empower you at home. I do, in fact, think they'll empower you in uh, this community. I do, in think, I, I do, in fact, think they're going to empower you in your work life or your school life or whatever you're doing. But hopefully they reframe how we lean into those things. Because Jesus... Certainly, I know I was being a little facetious earlier and said, Jesus don't care. He cares, but he wants us to approach it in the way he has invited us to approach all of these things. You know what I'm saying? And so the, the, the first thing that comes to mind is this idea of play. And we've been pretty serious for the last few minutes, and this is a talk about being childlike. And so, so I, I just want us to stop and pause and think about this for a moment. That what if the kingdom is for those who are willing to be playful, for those who are willing to play? You know what I love about play? Is that it's lighthearted. You know what I mean? How many of you like to play? Come on, put your hand up. If you just play is something that gives you life. And I'm not talking about robot, you know, little, all the, some of you love Lego robots, right? 
but some of you play is really important, like board game scenarios or like your, your cup of tea, you know, and you're, you're like, oh, today we're going to have friends over and we're going to play board games. And you're just like, this is rad, right? This is, this is, my, this is my thing. Or some of you uh, still play sports, which I should be but can't because, well, hashtag don't try hard enough. Um, and uh, I, I, I just think it's awesome. Do you approach your work with a sense of, I want to play today? Do you approach your family and your friends with a sense of, I want to play today? Now, don't get all weird if you're thinking about your like, spouse. That's weird, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you can. It's cool. Whatever. <laughs> Those of you single folks, you know, hit the bricks, as they say. Um, it's worth the wait. Pause. How, how far should I go off the cliff here? Ooh, so. You know, and uh, play can be something that gives so much freedom. If you're frustrated in your situation right now, and you're wondering, where could Jesus be? Where could God's hope be? Where could the kingdom possibly be in this? Jesus says, take on the attitude of a child. Invite yourself to be willing to identify with a vulnerable little child who, by the way, can teach you a thing or two about what to prioritize in life. It's time to play. What does that do for the stress at home? What does that do for the stress at work or your midterms or whatever you've got going on? How does it change the posture of the people you're seeking to come alongside? Oh, you know, this week was awesome. I, I just had a great week. I don't always have great weeks. This was a good week. I uh, had a great time on Monday hanging out with some of our, our staff team and Wednesday was my kiddo's fifth birthday, and Saturday, Friday, we had a bunch of kids at our house. Somehow, somehow we just decided this was going to be the most like, intense weekend ever. So we had kids from our village over on Friday night while others went out on a date-type thing. And then we had Lydia's birthday party for all her little kiddos yesterday. And then we have our village today where there's going to be tons of little kiddos again, many who have recycled three times now. And... Uh, I just think to myself, like, I came into this, I was like, Lauren, I can't believe tomorrow's the date thing that we're doing. You know, this is Thursday, and I'm thinking about Friday, and then I'm like, because it's this thing, and then this thing, and then this thing. And I'm, I'm just like, how could you have not realized that you just made our lives chaos? These children are going to come over, and they're going to wreak havoc on the house, and they're going to blah, 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 you know. Because I'm a grumpy old man. And um, I just realized, wait a second. No, 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 no. This is good. You know what I mean? Like, we should embrace this. Wherever we could find play, we should embrace it. Wednesday, my kiddo um, challenged me. She wanted to try a lot harder than I wanted to let her try when it came to riding a bike. Some of you saw this video already. But we got her her first pedal bike, and um, I was really excited about it. You know, I, I did all the research and found these, like, very child ergonomic, I don't know if ergonomics is the right word, but points of balance, you know what I mean? Like, like it, it, you're not supposed to fall off it very easy because it's built for you if you're, like, this tall. And so we, we took Lydia, who had, I think, graduated from the balance bike pretty well, and said, okay, let's give it a shot. Now, 
dad's trying to hold it together, but I don't know why. I'm, I'm very, like, panicky, you know, <laughs> in those scenarios. Lauren's like, just let her go. You know, and I'm just like, but she's going to fall. The asphalt has graininess in the rock. Like, it's not good asphalt. Like, it's going to shred her. Ah. And this happens. Let's watch the video. That is what Jesus is getting at. Oh my gosh. Play, enjoy, have gratitude. Find yourself not so tied up in all of the things that everyone around you is trying to tell you that you need to be tied up in. And don't neglect those things if you need to address them, but address them from a posture of gratitude, address them from a posture of play. Jesus shows us that this is a key to experiencing the life of the kingdom. When we can have an attitude of play, we bring so much more of the self that Jesus sees into those hard situations, into those situations where um, we're invited to um, find the spaces of uh, solidarity. You know what I mean? Like, like, like if you are someone who's saying, you know what, I, I believe this vision I want to be someone who is in solidarity with suffering people. I want to be someone who comes along with others, not just because I'm the champion and I have to, like, fix it, but because actually, like, I just want to come in with this, like, childlike sense of curiosity and joy. Like, like when you bring more of yourself to any scenario, I just have this sense that you, you bring so much more possibility into the world. Play is good. If you haven't played in a while, go play. Go throw a Frisbee golf disc somewhere. Go find a trampoline, even if you haven't been on one in 10 years, and try backflip, and then when you get injured, don't say, I told you you should do it, and don't sue the church. But do something. Find that sense of self that is joyful and playful. But let's not forget the vulnerability factor, you know? It's an invitation. This kingdom is an invitation into vulnerability. You know, vulnerability is this like weird ability to hide less of who you are in your relationships so you can become more of who you want to be. We hide all the time. Children don't hide very well. Can I tell you how many times I've seen my kid, at least, like, just pull up the dress, and you're just like, oh, my gosh, don't do that, right? You're like, well, that's a, what's she scared of? That's vulnerability. 
I mean, it kind of reminds me of the Adam and Eve story, right? <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe kids get that a little more, like being naked and running around and frolicking is cool because that's what Adam and Eve were doing. I don't know. But what I do know is this. The vulnerability is one of the hardest practices that children teach us. Ah, oh, you know what I mean? Like, like I, I don't know if you have someone that you can just bear it all to. Who is that? When's the last time you, you stepped into a safe space? And not just for your own sense of vulnerability. Like, so here's what happens sometimes. Someone mistakes being an oversharer as vulnerability. You ever had that in your life? Maybe you've struggled with that because you're a verbal processor like I am. So I just, all, here's all my stuff. Oh, wait. You're here too. You know what I mean? That's not vulnerability. That's oversharing, and you need to be self-aware of that. But there's this vulnerability that comes when you're with another person or a group of people, and you can just say, look, I don't have all my sheesh together, you know, and it's okay, I think, but I need you to help me see that it's okay. You know what I mean? Like, that's vulnerability. That's community. That's, that's what Jesus shows us through children. This child, like, just comes to Jesus, and everyone's like, don't do that, kid. Don't do that, kid. That kid's breaking the rules. And Jesus is just like, break them. What rules? What rules? Come be. Come be present. Like, just, just be who you are with me. And I think in our relationship with Jesus, that's so true, Right? Is there an echo outside or something? I'm sorry, I have hearing problems and I have a microphone. Sounds like it's better now. All right. Is it a puppy? Oh. Can I tell you about the vulnerable people in our world? It's doggies. Especially where I'm from, people just let them off leash and let them like run around until they get hit by cars. Oh my gosh, I can't. Seattle's a lot better at this, so it's like saved a lot of anxiety. There was a time, by the way, where I was saving a dog a week and I was, it is bad and I... It, I didn't even have a method. I would just be like, there's a dog off leash and it's running through the sidewalk and it's going to get hit by a semi-truck. And I would just like try and find its owner for like three hours and I've, yeah, anyway, haven't had to do that much lately. That's good. But vulnerability is like, 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 yes, in one sense, we recognize that some people are vulnerable, not on their own accord, not by their own choice. They're actually not vulnerable in the sense that we're talking about. It's a kind of vulnerability that's actually a dehumanizing, forced, coercive sort of um, space. I mean, imagine Jesus on the cross, nude and broken open. That's not a vulnerability that should happen to anyone. Unless you're the very one choosing to identify with the other ones who have that done to them unjustly. That's what's so beautiful about Jesus, right? So there's vulnerability works out all kinds of different ways, but we are so bad at this, gang. Like we're so bad about being vulnerable because you, your whole entire life, and me, my entire life, have been told, you can be someone special in the world. So go get the right job, get the right education, get the right people around you, get, make sure you have all of the networking pieces all in place so you can rise up to the top. I think strategy is fine. But if that drive leaves you empty, what have you accomplished, really? Really? 
Sometimes I think our drives need to be tempered by the vulnerability that Jesus invites us into as we look at children. So that we can identify with the vulnerable who are not vulnerable by their own choice. And so that we can lean into a community that looks different than any kind of space we ever inhabit during our nine to fives or anywhere else. But vulnerability, I don't think, is the only thing. I think uh, it requires, this kingdom requires imagination. Imagination is uh, one of the things we talk about a, a lot more than we used to around here. Imagination is a space, I think, where, where God can actually shape your soul in unique ways. You can find healing in the imagination. We've been told our entire lives that the imagination is the, the fake space. It's the childish space. And I want to suggest that the imagination actually can unlock new kinds of realities. That's why contemplative prayer is so powerful for some people. You ever just sat and centered yourself on Jesus in a quiet space and, and just kind of like centered yourself and just been like, Jesus, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I just want to be with you for a little bit. And, and you're there and it's like, oh, you just showed me something. Like I can picture something about you in this moment. That's the imagination. That's beautiful space. That's sacred space. And I love seeing this in children. How many of you know children that tell really interesting stories? And when we say interesting, we mean they make no sense. <laughs> yeah? I almost brought the whole book. I, I decided not to. Um, but Lydia, about three months ago, four months ago, came home with this book that her teacher's bound for her. I just love this. I right? came home from daycare. Her, her, her little book is bound. And the book is called The Greeby and the Mole. And it makes no sense, except it's funny, because the lines are delivered very well, in my opinion, at least, in my biased opinion. Um, and so the first day she brought it home, we read it as a family, and we just, like, busted up laughing the entire time, you know? I still don't know what a greebie is, but it's pretty cool that it's in the book, you know? Like, imagination, just like, like there's no world where greebie exists until Lydia speaks it into existence. Personally, I like a world with greebie in it, you know? See, the imagination does something that unlocks realities that we didn't know were there. And when we partner our imagination with the spirit of Jesus, all things are possible. That, will you invite yourself to imaginative spaces? Like maybe in prayer, and you're struggling with some sort of situation, maybe you find yourself just praying one day, and you're just like, I want you, Jesus, to show me my life where this struggle is handled as you might handle it. Where this challenge is handled in the way you might handle it. Where this frustration is handled. And, and I'm not the one bearing it by myself, but you're bearing this with me. Do you bring Jesus into those spaces that are challenging? Do you bring Jesus into those spaces that are hard? Jesus is like, look, look I just want to be with you. Like, if you want to know the kingdom, invite Jesus into your life. 
If you want to know the reality that God is birthing into creation, where eventually when Jesus comes back to sort this thing out, there's no more crying, pain, or tears for the old order of things has passed away. Behold, everything is becoming new. That's, yes, a big, pious picture of some future reality. But here's the deal. If you're a follower of Jesus, the New Testament over and over again says, the Spirit groans within us. The Spirit gives us the first taste of that future reality. And it's in the imagination that we can start to see that world right here in the little square footage that we inhabit each week. The imagination changes things. Got a couple couple more thoughts here. And this is one that, oh man, this one's important. I think the church needs to hear this. The kingdom is not judgmental. Now I need to clarify what I mean by this because some of you are thinking, I've seen some really judgmental children. Yeah, yeah, they learned some really good things from their parents, right? Yeah, no, it's sort of true. But if you look at a very young child, especially like someone like, like a toddler and into like preschool, judgments that are made by that age of child typically is not really a judgment as much as it is a curiosity, right? Like it's not like I don't like you because of this. Like even if those words were to come out of the mouth of a child, they're actually just trying to figure out what this really means in the world. Do you know what I mean? Like children at their core selves are not judgmental, which is super embarrassing, by the way, for a parent sometimes. You'll learn, like, like, like oh my gosh, like I, I didn't know this would happen, but sometimes we're, we're in a situation, and, and Lydia's gotten a lot better at this, but when she was a little younger, she would just point and observe things about people we had never met, you know? And I was like, um, sweetie, yeah, I, I also noticed that, but, you know, can we talk about this later? You know, or whatever. Like, it's just like, ah, you know, it's just, ugh. Some of them I, give me a lot of anxiety, let's put it that way. But, but at their essence, like, like it's curiosity. Judgment decides that I've got it together and you don't, so I need to project this sense of self that is put together onto you so that you can figure out what I've already figured out about how easy life is. I think judgment is one of the things that led mass majority of American white-based churches to exclude sisters and brothers of other races for so long. It was the sense of, look, we've got it all together. We figured it all out. We picked ourselves up from the bootstraps. No, you didn't. Don't lie. So go, go figure it out. What a lie. Pick yourself up from the bootstraps? What if you don't even have bootstraps? It's ridiculous. Right? And we, we take ideas and we project them onto other people and we assume that our sense of self and our sense of piety, like, I, I'm a good Christian. Therefore, you should figure this out. But we find time and time again that underneath the judgments is insecurity. That there's real pain. 
And you know, people watching is pretty interesting sometimes, right? How many of you have done? No, don't, you don't have to raise your hand. But you sit somewhere and you're just people watching. Anyone ever done this? Yeah, still don't raise your hand. Um, and as you're sitting there, there's two things you could be doing in that moment. And you're probably doing them both, unless you're really disciplined. Observing people who are different than you because you're curious, the childlike thing, sure. Or observing people who are different than you because you're curious and want to judge them as weird, different, odd, not you, out. Christianity gets very good at telling other people that they're out. And yet Jesus says, this child who's supposed to be out is in. Jesus over and over again says, these women who are, are supposed to be just kind of like on the side somewhere, they're not very helpful. They don't even, in the Roman identity at least, in the Roman world, they can't even be virtuous because they're women. Like literally, that's their only reason they're not virtuous is because they're women, because they're not manly enough. Jesus says, no. I'm going to have women at my feet learning from me. I'm going to have disciples. By the time we get to Paul, we have, we have like leaders in the church that are discipling other people in the church and they're women. It's radical stuff. But in the church, it becomes very easy to choose judgment over love. Now, there's another word that is like judgment that I still think we need to be wise about using is discernment, right? Discernment is important. Being wise is important. But discernment takes the posture that says the big old plank in my eye is not going to um, cause me to look at someone with the speck as though they're less than me. That's hard stuff. I got one more big idea, and then I'll, I'll kind of close here. The kingdom invites us to trust Jesus to let us be with him. There's a variety of spaces inhabited in this room when it comes to your own spiritual journey. For those of you who have said, yes, I believe cognitively in Jesus. I believe in his death and resurrection. I think his teachings are valid. I think all this stuff. Trust has to be the hardest part so weird. Um, children trust adults. And that trust is corrupted a lot of the time in our world, isn't it? There's so many adults that are not worthy of trust. The most beautiful thing that Jesus has to offer us in the journey of faith is that Jesus is never ever someone you can't trust. Now, if you have a worldview that says Jesus is someone I can trust, therefore Jesus is going to work out all my problems before they get too crazy. Nah, Jesus won't promise you that. But what Jesus can do is invite you to step into those problems in a different kind of way. I know a lot of people that um, give up 
Some of you in this room are probably on the brink of giving up. My hope and my prayer and my, my sincere just like desire is that you would say, no, 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 like what if Jesus is actually worthy of my trust? What if Jesus is someone who can really change my posture towards the world? And so as we wrap up, two big ideas. Number one is this, that I think the path towards kingdom maturity is an immaturity with regard to social norms or societal norms. If society is determining your value as a human being, it's time to get immature towards it. It's time to disrupt it. It's time to say, no, 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 I'm not going to let what is so-called mature and good or whatever tell me how to live. And I'll tell you what, I think there's a lot of things that society tries to do, right? Society tries to shape adults to work hard for the money, to work hard and play. No. Work hard so you can play hard. But here's the deal. Most people who always are working hard never actually play hard. It's like this myth, right? It's very weird. I think sometimes society shapes adults to put up a solid front when I think what people want more than ever is people who are actually human in front of them. I think sometimes society shapes adults to deal with the real world and that imagination is only a place where they can go to escape. And I think imagination might be the very place that empowers your life for the real world. Society shapes adults to judge through comparisons. Who have you looked at this week and thought to yourself, I wish I had that, I wish I was that, I wish I could be that? I do it all the time on Facebook. Oh my gosh, that person has a great gig. That person has a great situation. That person has all the... Jesus is like, quit playing comparison. You have all that you need. And society shapes adults to take control because people aren't dependable. That may be true sometimes. But people who together are choosing an alternative way of life, what if vulnerability invited you to trust? Not just them, but Jesus himself. So imagine how your life might transform if you regularly embrace childlike curiosity. I want to close with that thought, and we're going to move right now into a time of prayer. We do this each week where we just take some time for silence. And as we, as we move into the silence, I, I want you to have the freedom to just say, Jesus, like, like what characteristics, what kinds of things, when it comes to a childlike experience, a, an experience that identifies with these little kids that are vulnerable, that are playful, that are imaginative, Jesus, how might that shape my life differently? How might that invite me to enter into difficult situations in a new kind of way? 